Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast, helping engineers, producers, and artists create professional recordings and mixes, even from home. I'm your host, Mike and Davina. Let's get started. Hey, welcome to the Master Mix Podcast. I'm Mike and Davina, and thank you so much for joining me here today. Today's episode is a really interesting one. I'm interviewing Jay Moss, who, if you're not familiar with him, Jay is a great musician. He's a great producer, engineer, mixing, mastering engineer. The guy does it all. He's best known for his work in the punk and hardcore genres. He's worked with bands like Bane, State Champs, Citizen, Counterparts, Title Fight, and a whole bunch more. He's also currently working on a very cool project, which is a AI-based mastering service. Inside of this episode, we go deep into the discussion of that service, and we get into the nitty-gritty about how it works and how people like yourself can use it to help you with making better mixes and with also getting masters done very easily and fast. It's a really cool service. I've personally tried it out myself and uh, was pretty impressed with it. It definitely sounds great, and when you compare it to a lot of the other platforms that are out there, it just blows them out of the water as far as I'm concerned. So we go really deep into the discussion about that. And Jay was also very kind to put together a very special package for listeners of the Master Mix podcast. So if you stick around to the end of the episode, you'll find out exactly what that is and how you can try it out for free. So let's not waste any more time. Let's just jump right into the interview. Jay Moss, thank you so much for being on the Master Mix podcast. Ah, thanks so much for having me. For people who might not know your background, can you give us some of that story on how you got into music and then ultimately got into production and what you do now? I mean, it depends how far you want me to back up, but <laughs> the way I got into music was uh, probably like a lot of a lot of people. I was, I think, 12 and hanging out with my friends and they were like, I don't know. Oh, you know what it was? Nirvana Nevermind just came out and we were just all super hyped on it. I'm old, so I was... 12 or 11 or 12 when that came out. But, um, and so me and my friends, we just decided like, Hey, like we're going to start a band. And the way you start a band when you're 12 is no one has anything. You don't have any instruments. You just literally say, I want to play drums. You're the drummer. You know what I mean? And you say, (laughs) (laughs) so by the time it got to me, it was like, well, that guy said bass and that guy said drums. And so I said, well, I'll play guitar. And everyone's like, awesome. So I was in the band. So uh, it took us about three months to start that band because we had to wait till Christmas for all of us to get our instruments. And uh, <laughs> I got, <laughs> I was so heartbroken. I got an acoustic guitar. So I was trying to bring my acoustic guitar to band practice of all things, which obviously didn't work very well, but that's how we started. And it just went on from there. Um, I just kept being in bands from that point on and started doing shows like the natural progression. Then I started going on like little tours. Like my first tour was like two weeks long all the way down the East coast and back. I think I was 17 because I graduated high school when I was 17. So it was like graduate high school, get in van um, and start touring. Um, So that's how that all happened really naturally. And then the way I got into production was eventually our bands started needing decent recordings. And so um, I had gotten connected through To God City, Kurt Ballou, because we're both from the same area. And um, I started recording there. And I was really fascinated because I was, um, I've long been a huge computer nerd and musician, pretty classic combo. And I, uh, I just loved like the combination of uh, watching Kurt work and watching all of that technology and how that technology really influenced uh, 
what what we were making and like the the really like the procedures and the neat harmony and the influences and it was like this big puzzle that I really wanted to eventually figure out for myself and then I didn't start recording until I was like 23 um and then I um that's not totally fair. Like I'd been recording on four tracks and stuff since I was probably 14 and I'd been messing with like cool edit pro and like all of his archaic programs. <laughs> That's what and I stuff. got my start with too. <laughs> yeah, totally. But then when it was like, okay, let's actually, um, let's try this. I think I was on Cubase three and which just feels like a million years ago. And, but yeah, I was on like Cubase three. I bought a Tascam FW1884, which was like a eight channel. And I just thought it was sick because it had motorized faders, but it was essentially like an all-in-one box that could do eight ins at once. And I like, you know, it was like, whatever, it was like 1400 bucks or something, but I like quote, like blew the budget on it because I wanted to be able to record live drums. And that was it. That was my gateway. Like I'm sure the preamps were like, whatever, there wasn't anything too crazy about it, but it was a way for me to get enough microphones in at the same time so that I could record like my friend's band, my band and eight was the max at the time. Um, and yeah. And so that was, um, very intoxicating for me and all my friends thought I was going crazy. They actually had an intervention with me where they were like, uh, I was straight edge like my whole life. And so like, if you weren't straight edge, we would think you were on drugs because, uh, like <laughs> they're just like, they're like you are being weird. And I was like, yeah, I know. I know. And it was just like working nonstop. I was just totally obsessed. And so, um, I was the director of it for a, a hot tub company okay. <laughs> when I started recording <laughs> Arctic spas, LLC. <laughs> and, um, the financial, like the, the mid 2000 downturn happened. And um, there's no faster way to gauge if the economy is about to totally collapse. Maybe we should look at this now. Then see how many hot tubs people are buying. Because <laughs> the moment there's like even like the slightest fear in the air, people just stop buying hot tubs. And um, so our sales just totally crumbled. And I got laid off just because, um, well, half the company got laid off, you know. And... Um, I was about a year and a half into recording. I think it was 25 at that point. And I went home, uh, you know, I lived in a punk house with all my friends and stuff. That's where like my first like studio was. And um, I was just like, dudes, I think I'm going to just not get a job again. And I'm just going to do this. And they were like, that's insane. And yokes on them, I guess, still sort of. I'll be 40 this year. And um, I still haven't. So I've still been um, doing music production. Um, you know, I was in bands up until I decided to have my, my child, but, uh, you know, I was in bands till I was 35 and, um, just kept touring and kept producing and somehow was able to do all right. That's awesome. And to, yeah. to still be doing it to this day. That's amazing. Thanks, man. So you, you had mentioned kind of, uh, experiencing or having the Kurt Ballou experience. Were you working with him for your own band? And then that kind of got you like, kind of yes. aware of what was going on in the world of recording or did you actually like intern with him or like how did you ultimately end up learning how to do this stuff so it was both um so at first i was the i was the young kid in the older guys band so you know they were like i was 17 and they were like 23 24 which at that time feels like a lot and they were more kurt's age so they had a 
relationship with them. So that's just where we went to record. Really, they decided that. And I was like, cool. So that's how I met him and stuff. And then it was right around the time the hot tub industry turned on its head and I became a full-time uh, audio engineer that um, I was over at God City. We'd become friends since then. And he knew I'd been recording. I was bouncing mixes off him and stuff. And he was like, oh, um, are you doing this full-time now? And I was like, yep. And he was like, wow, cool. And I think that got him to be like, okay, sweet. And then there was opportunities. He does a lot of work for Death Wish Records and stuff. And at the time, Ferret Records, when that was still a thing. And um, I, um, he was, he still is. He always has been like a, a, an amazingly talented engineer. And I think he was popular and probably more popular than he could handle. So these opportunities started to come up for, um, hey, I need, I need this editing done. Like he had a little B room at God City. So I'd start, I'd hang out there, I'd do the editing, hang out with the band, you know, have good studio etiquette and just vibe with everybody and just work hard because it's what I love to do. And then eventually <clears throat> we would do stuff. So I would do stuff at God City. Uh, and then also if we had overflow, it'd be like, all right, um, here's some gear. He gave me some extra gear that he wanted me to use and be like, go cut bass at your studio, which was like nothing compared to his. But um, I, he knew that I knew what I was doing at that point. Like, go cut bass over there, bring the bass back. We're going to reintegrate it with a session like that. You know, we've coordinated with the label. That's how we're going to, you know, keep this on budget, et cetera. And um, I was like really honored to be able to do that. And, you know, I, I just kind of in the same way, <laughs> I keep talking about hot tubs in the same way, <laughs> I had to leave the hot tub world and just dive into you know, running my own studio with that too. You know, I was a Cubase user, I used Pro Tools. So I had to become fluent in Pro Tools. So I became fluent in Pro Tools. And then I, um, you just, I just had to keep saying yes to stuff because I knew if I say no, that's game, you know? Yeah. But if I, if I say yes, uh, it's on me. Don't mess it up. And I just, um, I guess I, to, <laughs> I guess I didn't mess it up enough. And so I got to keep hanging out and keep learning. And then eventually, you know, like it was just like, uh, natural run of his course in a way where I was so busy with my stuff that it just kind of turned into like, I, I didn't really have the availability anymore. So amazing. Yeah. So I actually kind of want to take a step back then because you, it sounds like you, you kind of just made that decision. Like I'm going to go full time with this, but at that time, were you already like, were you already booked up? Were you like, how were you, No. <laughs> how were you getting those clients to decide, okay, full-time sounds like it makes sense. Or was it just totally a chance that you took? No, I just, I just jumped off a ledge. Like I, I had clients. I certainly didn't have enough clients to be able to safely say like, okay, I'll definitely be good. <laughs> Cause <laughs> I, I definitely didn't. I definitely wasn't. Um, at the time I was taking whatever I could get. So believe it or not, I was recording a ton of rap. There's, um, the time there's a city just north of Boston called Chelsea and it was maybe still is full of gang members and I became some of their recording studio. <laughs> so I, uh, I, we had these really insane experiences where my house was just full of bloods, literally bloods, not crips too. It's it crazy. Like they were part of the Boston chap, whatever. And we became, now mind you, we have very different upbringings and vernacular, but, uh, <laughs> We, we became pretty close because we had like a mutual respect, like no one tried to step on anyone's toes. And some of these guys were super, super good um, and had a lot of cool stuff to say. They couldn't believe how good it sounded. And I couldn't believe how easy the work was. It was like, the, I was just like, I'm just recording vocals. Like, I don't have to worry about like phase or anything. Like, this is crazy. And they just thought like we do, 
it was all vocal production, like doubling and pitch shifting and like all of these different effects and, and things, hype tracks and distortion and like, all. it was just really fun. It was really creative. Um, so I took as much of that as I could at the time and gradually, you know, my focus was more on like the type of music that I make myself. Um, that's where I felt like I had the most like artistically and creatively to offer. So, uh, <laughs> you know, gradually I got more clients like that and my, uh, the amount of of gang fueled hip hop that I was producing uh, definitely started to wane. That was okay <laughs> with me. Um, yeah, <laughs> dude, I totally relate. I, I got my start kind of doing something very similar. And like one of my first studio spaces, it was in the middle of like hip hop central in Toronto, and like I would get so much of that kind of work. And you're right, it's like it's so. I don't know if it's because like we're we come from the rock world and like we're used to a very complicated recording process of like for sure you know, miking up every el element and like getting the phase right and all that kind of stuff but like when it comes to like hip-hop and all that stuff it's just like get the vocals right and it seems so simple and i don't know if you experienced this as well but like i found that when recording hip-hop music they appreciated my rock sensibility because i would come at it from a different perspective because i wasn't a hip-hop guy like i looked at it from like a production standpoint and like rhythm and all this kind of stuff like i just had a different view as opposed to like this is what hip-hop normally should sound like and and that's that's that like I, I don't know if you experienced that sort of same no i definitely i definitely did and they i think i was more of like uh like anal about timing and stuff. So I'm more, a little bit more anal about editing and that type of stuff. So they just thought like, damn, I sound good. And that's really like what, you know, us as engineers, when people come and work with us, they're all, they, they want to sound like the best version of themselves, regardless of the genre, you know? So they really like the version. And then <laughs> they pretty quickly figured out I played guitar. So all of a sudden I'm playing guitar on all the tracks <laughs> and, you know, it's like, but yeah, no, it was, it was, it was really cool. Like, um, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was really cool. I, I'm really grateful for that experience. Um, I, I don't do that much of it anymore occasionally, but it's a totally different brain. You know, it's cool. So you've obviously moved away from cool edit pro and you know, <laughs> yeah. now you're here. I could see that you're in this awesome facility. Can you tell us a little bit more about your current studio setup and how that's evolved over the years? Totally. Um, I realized, so <laughs> speaking of working with Kurt and stuff like that. Like, you know, I came up right at the end of the era where all the guys that were just a little bit older than me, everyone had a console. And so everybody was like, you have to have a console. Like, that's how you work. You know, it was like fundamental until like, when I first started recording, I remember very much feeling like no console meant I wasn't pro. And, and that's way gone now, thank God. But, um, and so when it came time for me, I, I did like that basement that I was telling you about where I lived in the punk house with my friends. <clears throat> I didn't mean to, but I recorded there for shit, uh, almost eight years. I was there forever. It was cheap. Um, it was like really centrally located, like it right outside of Boston. And like, just was like, I didn't have a lot of reason to move. And for what I sort of was lacking in aesthetics, um, I, uh, felt like I was making up for in sound quality and I had such low overhead too that I was like, well, I don't know. This seems to be working until I have a real reason, you know, I won't move. Then um, it came time um, uh, to sort of get up, grow up, move on. And that became pretty clear um, that I went house shopping and uh, very long story, very short <laughs> after a few pitfalls. Um, I found this place um, 
It's a little bit further north outside of Boston, but it's really beautiful here. We've got like an acre. Um, and now that I have a kid, you know, we've got this side yard. Let's grassy and flat we can play baseball and like just like a fire pit so like now there's all these other perks that i wasn't even considering at the time i really just bought the house at the time because i was like i walked into the basement and this house sits on a hill so what they had to do is they had to raise the foundation up to get the house up to meet street level because it's on a grade and because they had to raise the foundation up so much i walked in and i was like oh like there's like i mean there are over nine foot ceilings like in in this, it's just a really weird, like I kept walking down the stairs to the basement, like this seems tall. And I went, I'm six, four. So I went in there and I raised my hand like all the way up. And I was like, this is tall. And, um, and then I was like, I could totally do this here. Price was right. I brought in 2012. So like the market was like, just at the very end of being like really like depressed here. And, um, yeah. And so we, I kind of scored on the, on the whole thing. I could, I could afford it. It was tight, way, way tighter monetarily than it would have been, um, you know, for me to stay where I was, but, um, and then there was all the build out costs and stuff like that. And yeah, I have a really funny story about how I handled build out costs. Hopefully Home Depot isn't listening, but I, uh, I went into Home Depot and so this whole thing cost me way more money than I thought it was going to. And so I was out of money. I was thinking I was going to sell my car, um, and use like the band's van as my vehicle. I was like, well, let me try one last thing. And I went to Home Depot and um, they had this thing called like a project loan. It was like a six month loan. You could do like, hey, do you want to put in a swimming pool or like whatever? And like, they would give you sort of like 0% financing for six months. It's like the old Guitar Center card trick, but it accrues the whole time. If you don't pay it off in six months, like, (laughs) watch out. Yeah. You just fill out. I was like, hey, can I apply for this? They go, yeah. You just fill the thing out on like a pin pad, like normal, like point of sale pin pad. And one of the questions was like, how much do you make a year? And I was like, there's no way they're checking, you know? So I just was like, I was like, instead of putting like 40, I put, I put $400,000 a year. I was like, <laughs> I was like, what? I'll just say I typoed it. You know, like if anyone gets mad, I'll like, oh, it's, it's a sticky button. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and so <laughs> I hit that and dude, a little receipt popped out. It took a minute. And it was like, congratulations, like you basically approved for like <laughs> 17 and a half thousand Home Depot bucks. And I was like, yay. And then so I was like, I don't have to sell my car. And uh, I, um, and dude, you should have seen, I was just loading up the van with just like the poor suspension, just like two by fours and dry. Wa- I was like, before they figure this out, I need to get everything I need out of here. And then of course, you know, you got to like, you build the place, bust your ass building the place. And then you're on the hook. You got to get a lot of clients in because you got six months before all this interest is just going to bury you. So then I had to just work, (laughs) (laughs) just work just to be like, I kind of took that year like, Hey, this is about to suck, but after it sucks, it'll be cool. And, um, that's, that's how I built this place. <laughs> For everyone listening, this is not a financial podcast. Don't no. take any of this advice as things you should do. Forging applications for financing, trusting nope. the hot tub market for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, so <clears throat> it's been pretty weird. <laughs> <laughs> but you were able to make it happen, which is which is amazing. Yeah. Like. So after you had built it up and then obviously you had this big overhead, like how did you even go about, because I assume like when you had no studio, you must not have been doing very much work because you're obviously just trying to get your studio built up, right? So how are you, how are you like building up the clientele or like setting yourself up so that 
once you're ready to go, like you could just keep that full. And <laughs> well, if you want to talk about burning the candle at both ends, uh, it took me. God, I just I totally misjudged how hard it was going to be to build this place, and so. I thought I could build it in three weeks. I don't know why I thought that. I just decided I could. And I couldn't, obviously. And I, <laughs> I was doing 16-hour days, super stressed out. No one talked to me. It was me and a buddy. That was it. And a, a few like like drills and a lot of two-by-fours and a shop saw and you, know, you name it. And um, I was working like crazy. Well, because I knew that I needed to work and I was going to run out of money at some point, I started booking bands way too close. So I blew through the three weeks and I had like a week buffer. And then I had bands who were like, Hey, what's up? We're like driving up from North Carolina for 10 days to do that record with you. Remember? And I'm like, yep. And (laughs) obviously I didn't have a studio. So then I had to go to a friend and be like, Hey, um, I need 10 days. Like, what can we work out for a rate? So then I would go work with them at the studio, produce their record. And so I had these, I was doing both on the back end of building the studio. I was working all day engineering. Then I would leave and I would come here and I would just drill pieces of wood together until 2, 3 a.m., making a ton of noise and get a few hours of sleep, wake up, drive to the other studio, keep working on the record. <laughs> that's, that's how I did it. And I remember the first band I recorded here was do you know that band State Champs? Yeah. 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 So I rec- <laughs> State Champs was the first band to record here. That's crazy. And yeah. And, um, <laughs> I remember being like, all right, people are going to really listen to this one. This is important. I need to do it here. And that was like the thing where I was like, I have to just like, I don't know. When you're just in that do or die position, you know, same thing as quitting your job. I'm not necessarily advocating for this type of behavior, but (laughs) when you're in that do or die position, you know, you do or you die. (laughs) So you're like, yeah, let's do. And um, we got it done and we did it here. Came out great. Um, and that was it. From that point on, I've been I've been doing my records here, unless I get flown like to Chicago or Australia, whatever you know. Then I'll uh, Italy too. Sometimes um, it makes more sense to fly me to. Sometimes it makes more sense to fly me to Germany than it does to fly five Germans here. Makes so sense. yeah. So we'll do that sometimes too. But yeah, that's uh, that's how that happened. That's amazing. I love hearing those kind of stories of just like the survival instincts that kick in and you, you just have to make it work, right? Well, yeah. I mean, because as far as I was concerned, like if I missed a mortgage payment or if I'm, I'm like real nervous in that way, like a SWAT team was going to like bust through the window and you know what I mean? Like I Home just Depot like this, SWAT team. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. A SWAT team dressed in orange. Uh, and like, <laughs> and I just had this fear. I was like, oh man, like I don't want to mess up my credit. I don't want to like, apparently I'm perfectly fine committing fraud at the kiosk, but, <laughs> but I will pay it back on time. <laughs> That's the important part. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. You were like, Throughout all of this time, you were a musician still and you were playing in your bands. At what point did you, like, because you were in a band that was doing pretty well and touring yeah. quite a bit, you had a record deal. At what point did you feel like, okay, I need to stop this band life and kind of just focus on the studio full time? And, and what was that transition like for you? Well, it's like one of those things that creeps up. Um, you know, like, uh, it, it, I don't think it all hit me at once or anything. It was like, I just started noticing I was getting into my mid thirties and I knew like I wanted to be a dad. And, you know, I was living the dream of my 20s, for sure. We signed an epitaph. Um, I was touring the world. I mean, we were at a point where, um, you know, we had booking agents on every continent. And I can just literally send an email like, hey, um, uh, is this a good time to come out? We like want to like play f- Russia. 
whatever. You know, they like, yeah. And I'm like, great. You know, we just get on a plane and we go. And it was amazing. Um, and so I wouldn't trade those experiences for the world. What kind of happened though is um, I remember being in East Germany in a tent. It was 104 degrees and I was in a catering line with um, uh, Davey from um, Davey Havoc and AFI. Fletcher from, yeah, if, if, if I, Fletcher from Pennywise and um, like just some of my like idols and some of the dudes from Lagwagon were there and stuff. And like, we're just sort of like hanging out, but we're all eating the same chicken in the same tent and we're going to go play that stage they're going to play later than me for sure but (laughs) um but you know like um and i kind of like started i was really humbled and stoked by those experiences but i also had this thing in me that felt eager to get back home because i there was all of this other stuff i hadn't done yet and i've always sort of been the type where it's like i don't know that i'll just like pick a thing do it die you know it's like i want to do lots of different stuff and i could kind of see what continuing on that path was going to look like and i think it kind of changed my enthusiasm i was still really grateful of course but like it changed my enthusiasm for my goals were just changing and um what i had built up i was really proud of but it wasn't necessarily perfectly aligning with my goals and i think we we've all had those guys in our bands if you've toured enough where you can just kind of tell that they are uh not in the same spot where they used to be with it and that's really normal it's really human and people uh, there's lifers man there's some people who are going to be in that catering line and they that's it and and they want to that's, they can't ever imagine what I got to raise a kid. Like I got to go pay my mortgage. Like, are you kidding? That's crazy. And even with, at the height of my touring and stuff, when we were doing the best, um, I'm kind of a nerdy homebody. So I would kind of yearn for like, not such a fast paced life. Yeah. And so that caught up with me and I was excited to make that tr- transition. And there just sort of became like a, a point where I think that became really clear. Um, and it was just better to, you know, it, it was the only honest thing to do is, is to be honest, you know, and, and, and really like, you know, my actions were already sort of showcasing that, like I wanted something else. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I definitely can relate to that. Cause I I've experienced that as well. And the same, like with me, I was always the youngest guy in my bands. And, and then I watched those guys that were older hitting that point in their lives where like, yeah, family, you know, marriage, all that kind of stuff that was like becoming the thing that they needed to shift towards. And so I saw it from, the the other perspective of like I want to be the guy that's like the musician for life and then and then like as I get older I'm like okay I get it now like yeah you know. yeah and so I I was the oldest guy in Defeater so I was probably you know the I was probably being looked at like are you out of your mind you know but I was I was the oldest guy and I was just sort of like I don't know you know like I don't know I think I think I want to do some different stuff um, so. So that, that was that transition. And it really put me in a position here to produce full time and um, work on every other creative endeavor I want to. And like yesterday, I went to the beach with my wife and kid and it was awesome, you know, and and I can pretty much pick up and do that now whenever because we've got really amazing assistants that work here and um, that flexibility of life and not feeling like I'm on hold waiting for like, quote, real life to begin is nice to like not have hanging over my head anymore. Yeah, that's amazing. You had kind of mentioned that you have lots of different goals and lots of different focuses that you want 
to kind of achieve and things to tackle. And, you know, as as a producer, I could see that you are a very multi-passionate engineer. You're someone who does a lot of mixing. You do mastering, software development. You've got your wife, your kid. Like, how do you how do you find that balance of your time? And, and how do you keep your focus on those tasks when, you know, or how do you decide on which ones to focus on? Well, you put out the hottest fire, that's for sure. But you also, uh, <laughs> and there's always something on fire. But you also um, have to be, I think, the type of person where, you know, what does Jay do for fun? Well, it sounds so bad. I work, man. Like I, I do what other people would consider l- maybe laborious. And I solve problems, like I said, for the fifth time, big nerd. So it's just, that's what gets me psyched. And so if I can create something, solve a problem, like that's what gets me like jumping out of my seat and being like, oh my God, it works. Yes. And like, I'm running around the house and like telling my wife, she's like, that's nice, honey. You know? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, so some people work and they want to go, you know, I work so that I can, uh, watch sports or I work so that I can ride my bike or something like that. And I think there's always, or pretty close to always, hopefully like some semblance of balance there, but, um, it doesn't really feel like work for me. Like I really like, um, I, my, my little dopamine machine that sits above my neck, like fires off the most dopamine, uh, when I fix problems and make people happy and I'm, I'm, I'm of service to others. So, um, that's probably why I can multi-manage because I'm having a lot of fun doing it. Makes sense. Yeah. And I think that that ties into, some of uh, what we're going to get into in a little bit, just about the, the the latest project that you've been working on. But before we even get to that, I'd love to um, let's just talk about your productions in, in general and kind of get a sense of, you know, what it is and that you do and, you know, what your approach is to the projects you're working on. And specifically, I'd love to talk about mastering because I, I think that this will tie into your recent venture. I always love to ask engineers that do a lot of mastering work, you know, there's there's a lot of people who believe that if they know how to use tools like EQ, compressors, limiters, and all that kind of stuff, then they essentially know how to use a lot of this. They essentially have the same equipment as a mastering engineer. And there's this belief that like, well, if I can get my mixes to a point where I'm really happy with the quality, what's the argument for getting your songs mastered by a professional? (laughs) Well, if you're a professional, then I guess you are getting your songs mastered by a professional, but you... More than likely aren't. Uh, (laughs) You know, I mean, probably not. It's the psychoacoustic knowledge and the experience. I think one thing you find is like good master engineers are dudes that have been kicking around a long time. They've seen lots of problems. They've solved lots of problems. And they, um, not necessarily every time, but a lot of time, you know, like when you think of like the wizard on the hill, like the audio wizard, he's always like some dude who's been around and he's got, as they call it, golden ears, but probably what he really has is like golden experience. And, um, and the, the difference is, uh, what is it? Like, you don't know what you don't know. And so you say like, cool, I have the same tools as Bob Ludwig. Well, dog, you ain't Bob Ludwig. You know, like you're, uh, you, yeah, congratulations on spending an exorbitant amount of money on those (laughs) tools, but now get ready for the two decades and like relentless work ethic and uh, problem solving stuff that like someone like himself went through. So I think that it's very cool and easy to not easy necessarily, but like fun and exciting to be like, I'm going to put distortion on the vocals and I'm going to like 
this guitar tone's crazy. And, uh, and I, I always do things this way. And I always do this. Thing. So, well, fundamentally, man, like at the end of the day, all of those ideas probably are cool or at least cool to you. And that's great. But they need to sound good to other people if you want anyone to care. And that takes an experienced ear. That takes, in my opinion, someone who has solved a lot of problems. And without getting into every last nitty gritty detail of I don't even know that I could get into every last nitty gritty detail of my process because my process is variable. My process like is entirely dependent on the input signal. And it also is dependent on the genre and it's dependent on like what the expected output is supposed to be like. Um, so for that reason, it can be tough, but there's some fundamental things, right? Like the ear hears 3k first, uh, people typically don't like really like overly dynamic bass because it just causes havoc in most systems and will mask a bunch of other frequencies, right? Typically mixing engineers scoop their mixes because they think it sounds awesome. And then we have to restoratively look at the low mids and be like, all right, let's find some note value here. That's <laughs> going to help support this like clashing clang of high mid range you've created, you know? And there's a lot of things to consider. And I've, I've noticed like for as variables, things are the science aspect of mastering and being so nerdy is like something that I've taken really seriously because I've uh, sort of ascertained commonalities and, and things to look for and areas to expect, and then also ways to measure those and then test against those and to deliver, you know, typically my uh, clients are really happy. So, or at least they tell me they are and they come back and do it again. So that or they're very self-deprecating, but, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, I think to answer your question and not take 10 minutes to do it, I would say, uh, experience education and experience is, is key. And then after that, I mean, gear is like, gear is ju literally just a tool to change the way something sounds and to think in any capacity, in my opinion, that any piece of gear is a sonic catch-all is already sending you down the wrong path. Yeah, I love that. And, and yeah, it is, you know, that example of like buying all of the same gear as Bob Ludwig. Yeah, like, you know, you can put someone behind all that and it's never going to sound the same. You know, you can have the nicest guitar, nicest drum set, whatever, but if you don't know how to play them, you know, that's exactly, that's it's exactly, the same yeah. thing, right? Yeah, it's to really si simplify that. Now, in terms of mastering, would you say, like, obviously, it's, you know, having that third-party opinion, I think, is really important. And and to your point of, like, you know, mixing engineers will send you stuff that's really scooped. And it's like, to their ears, that sounds good. And then you need that third party to be like, well, maybe we need to, like, clarify some things here and, like, you know, clean up the signal even more. Are there any cases where you think that mastering isn't necessary? It just depends on how you define mastering. I, you know, like, I think... To say it's not necessary is to say that there's that there's a point where a highly educated, experienced, extra look, extra set of ears, extra process isn't beneficial. It's like probably 99.9% .9 repeating. I can't even think of person. I'm only saying it because I hate <laughs> like, I hate being completely stern on something, I guess, but I can't like even think of a single instance where someone was like, hey, like, <laughs> do you want uh, this very highly experienced person to like use like all of their expertise to take like a completely fresh ear objective look, you know, and maybe like, absolutely <laughs> not. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> no, I love that though. It, I mean, I think it does need to be said. And, and so I wanted to hear yeah. from you kind of, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like to think that like 
all-star athletes don't still train and find someone who can teach them something new, right? It's like, it's why wouldn't you get your stuff mastered when there's a professional there who can help you make your stuff better? And, you know, I think mastering does train mixing engineers to become better mixing engineers. Mm -hmm. It does. Yeah, it completely does. We see it all the time. Uh, You know, it's just, it's like the same thing. Like, no, I can't like throw, I don't know. I can't throw a, a football like Peyton Manning or something and neither can his trainers, but like his trainer can definitely analyze the video of him playing better. You know what I mean? It can definitely analyze like we should work on your foot placement here because you like, I can't play guitar as well as like some of the guys that come in and shred guitar, but I can be like, you're behind the beat, you know? And I can be like, I can be like, you know, like you're, you're, you're muting too hard or like you're no, no, like it most likely. And so um, it's uh yeah, the experienced overview is, is good and, in all things, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're often too close to it to, to recognize those like small details that make a big difference in your, in your own performance or, you know, whatever you're doing. Well, totally. And then the biases of the mixing engineer and the people that worked on it so long too. Right. So like, they're like, they put all of this time and effort into all of these decisions and that's fine. But then that like comes to a guy like me or whomever, and we don't know any of that. We just go, Oh, this part's, fucked up (laughs) so like let me fix it and uh like and then we fix it and then no one's hitting me up being like yo dude i really liked how scoop the mix used to be people are just like sounds huge thanks man you know (laughs) yeah it's it's such like a binary thing it's like a yes or no i either like it or i don't and like they don't get into the the nitty-gritty of it (laughs) best they don't see how the sausage is made sometimes (laughs) absolutely in terms of mastering and kind of based a little bit on some of the answer you just gave. One thing that I often read when it comes to mastering is that people have conflicting feelings about is mastering something that's supposed to be more about broad strokes or is it more about like narrow surgical moves? And I'd love love to get your feelings on that. Like what's your personal approach on that? And do you favor one over the other? Well, what's it need? You know, so what's it need again to be not binary? Uh, ooh, not binary. Very 2020 term. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I have to edit that. Out. I don't care. But, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, to be not binary, it might need both. It might need neither. It might, you know what I mean? It, it might not need a heavy hand at all. And it might need quite the heavy hand. And, uh, that's why there is no singular process. That's why, um, it takes <laughs> either a very educated human, or I guess we're going to get to this soon, uh, an educated human who programs something very smart to know when to, yes, make big changes, or no, not so much. And like the factors that go into that decision-making process, be it the human doing it or some sort of like deep learning AI, um, which was, you know, constructed from the years of experience, right? Um those decisions are uh, completely dependent on the input source. Um, so uh, I don't know, because there's definitely times where I hear something, and I'm like, holy 1.3K, like I got to get in there and we're going to do a little like dynamic, like notch, maybe not like a full notch down to like zero infinity, but like maybe we're going to do like a 60B thin notch that... Um, only is going to, is either going to be automated on and off or is only going to reach its maximum attenuation of 60B in the most like dire of moments. But there's also times where that notch needs to be one and a half to three dB. So, um, and, and basing that 
that's something that's been a lot easier to do recently. That's something that analog gear struggles with in a big way is f- looking ahead into a waveform with intelligent data and then making decisions based on that that are dynamic based on the input signal in nature. And analog gear uh, for all of its like mojo um, can't do that. Um, and I think <clears throat> I personally would rather have because I kind of feel like the mix engineer is going to be like, yeah, and then I did distressors and my parallel bus and blah, blah, all the stuff. Right. And like going to make it like, they're going to make it the amount of like harmonically complex that they want it to be. And they're going to do all of that stuff. Mastering. It's more like awesome job. This song kicks ass. Mix sounds really good, but here's all, here's a bunch of harmonic spikes. You didn't see here's like an enormous variance in like your sub content that probably needs to be reined in, you know, like that type of stuff. Um, and that's the type of stuff that we can calculate, um, be it with our brains or, or otherwise. Yeah, for sure. Well, you definitely knew where I was going with all of this stuff. Like, you know, I, I wanted to understand your process a little bit more because you've been working on something new that I'm excited for you to talk about. And I wanted to know about your process so that we can then talk about how that ties into what it is that you're working on. So can you share what that is? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I got this crazy idea um, to develop uh, a mastering AI because I was not satisfied um, with the options that I had been hearing in this space yet. Now, that's not to say other people can't be satisfied with them. I just personally was not. And so um, for that reason, and because of my computer science background, and then um, eventually partnering with my man, Joe, who uh, just his computer science background <laughs> kicks my computer science backgrounds butt pretty hard. Um, like I, The way I look at the two of us, we're partners in the company. It's called Monster. It's named after me. Uh, I didn't want to do that, by the way. And then I just kind of <laughs> had to. But <laughs> the way I look at our relationship is that I am like a music major with a computer science minor. And he's like a computer science major with a music minor. We both toured. We're both musicians. We're both engineers. You know what I mean? It's just like when that fork in the road came where... You know, I was like, I'm going to keep getting in the van and I'm going to run and build a recording studio as my day to day, like the thing I do every single day. He was like, and I'm, and I was like, I'm going to program on the side. You know, he's like more the other way around where it's like my day to day as I write code. Um, but we both have a very deep understanding of, of both sides of the space, which makes for a really nice partnership. Um, and yeah, so speaking of all of those forward looking things that analog gear, can't do. First of all, oh man, where do I start? You know, I've always been very bleeding edge. I've always been very new school. I think technology typically advances uh, directionally. And while certain aspects never really go away, like I use this on another podcast, I'm going to use it again, where it's like, like, people still have horses, people still ride horses, it is probably not their primary mode of transportation to take them to their job, right? And like when new stuff comes out, there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of like trepidation about, but I think what we usually find is that like uh, we find an equilibrium point. These technologies become mature, they become part of our lives and they usually bring better affordability, better scalability, like more features, more convenient, and ultimately like can end up better than the pro- the products of which they were originally derived from. And we can see that like in video is a perfect example of that, right? Like it's really cool to watch something that was shot with film. Like it has a character, it has a grain and people who are masters of recording 
amazing pieces of uh, cinema or whatever, documentaries with film, there's a grace to it. And when it's handled well, it's awesome. However, most of the time we watched digitally created images that look absolutely unbelievable, right? And that's what is probably the right move most of the time. I think that <clears throat> as musicians, we can be a little curmudgeon when it comes to adopting new technologies. And we're understandably distrustful of like, <laughs> of anything that isn't just like long haired rock guy in front of console, <laughs> lots of knobs, you know, like we're, we're distrustful of like, of Jay Moss and his fancy cloud robots. Like, how could you not be, you know, but I, so for those people, I would suggest try it. Um, and try it and tell me that uh, it, it didn't do a good job. You don't have to think so. Uh, and uh, we can talk about that. No, <laughs> no, but uh, no, but I think like, I think really uh, the, the value that this is going to bring a properly handled version of this technology brings such immense value to our space. Like you said, mastering makes mixing engineers better, right? And mixing engineers, imagine instead of waiting two weeks you set a budget, it goes to the mastering guy, he gets to it, you get it back. And how many times, like so many times, the mixing engineer hears that mix back and they say, oh, uh, this does sound really good now that I've heard it. Uh, I really wish I could go back and just tinker that and tinker that because it maybe it brought out some frequencies that are very important but I had an excess of those frequencies in one area of my mix that the mastering engineer wasn't able to get to, but I can very easily get to. And now that I hear that, yes, this is a better curve, but it's bringing out like just in my vocal, there's like that 700 Hertz thing going on that I just need to tuck down a little bit more, right? Like you, if you use Monster, right? That's, that's a five minute process. And oh, by the way, it didn't cost you any extra money and you can do the car test. You can do all the stuff, but you know, we use conventional mastering engineer, uh, you're going to wait and pay. And then you're going to be up against, you know, that whole thing where you're like, is it worth it? Like, do I want to hit him back up and be like, Hey, and like, how much more would it be for a revision or how many revisions are included? Or when could you get to this? Cause we've got a deadline. Like we've got this stuff. So like that just seemed like a process that had a lot of room for modernization, but you can only do it effectively and in a way that's going to be like, hopefully ubiquitously or close as close to possible at scale. Um, if you have someone, I guess, like myself, who's uh, got these 15, 16 years of uh, audio expertise that where they've been doing this stuff and they, they know the right decisions to make. You can't get like random comp side dude to effectively program something that requires, you know, basically a doctorate in audio to, to do, you know? Yeah. Makes sense. So who would you say you're marketing Monster towards? At first, we're going to market it towards, eh, I guess, I, I can't, I, I honestly don't know who wouldn't benefit from it. Like even my dad, who just like hits me up and tries to figure out like where the USB plug goes into his computer. Like <laughs> when he like, you know, like when he writes a song, like, you know, you could take your demos and all of a sudden you can play them in your car and they sound awesome. Um, but I think at first we're going to sort of market this towards um, mixing engineers. There's so many technologies really like enabled uh, so many people to get into recording that normally would have been not able to because of the 
cost preventative nature of gear acquisition and all of that. Um, so yeah, budgets for records, of course, have gone down. But the upside there is so has the cost of entering the market as an artist. And we're also going to see a lot, a lot, lot more of people uh, being able to make really, really good art on their laptop. They already do, right? I mean, Billie Eilish just cleaned up at the Grammys, right? Like, and And so like, you can make some really, really compelling art. But what you won't have is that like, scientific plus art plus technology convenience like what are you going to make like a parallel hosted mastering ai in the cloud like no but using one would be like really beneficial to you um and there's so many people making amazing art where now they can themselves become better mixing engineers because they get that feedback as well and then obviously like we've already got a bunch of users that we let into early access getting amazing feedback from them and you know, I'm already getting videos and stuff from people being like, dude, like from very respected engineers. I mean, Dan Corniff is a perfect example, right? Like he's got platinum records. He worked with Paramore, right? Like he used master and he was like, dude, nice work. Well done. And I don't know how much more substantial, you know, you need to go as sort of like, you know, like there it is. So everyone from my dad, that's called the USB cable dad to Dan Corniff, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Platinum records in his sleep, Dan Corniff. So it's just, yeah, it's a great, it's a great product. We're really proud of it. For sure. I guess the, the obvious elephant in the room that we should definitely address is most people are going to wonder, how does this differ from a service like Lander? Because that's already an online mastering service out there. What's going to differentiate Monster from what we know as Lander? You've used MS Paint, I assume, right? Yeah. And you've, you've used Photoshop. <laughs> <laughs> you know what Fair. I mean? Yeah, yeah. Good argument. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, well, it's crazy. Like, yeah, okay, it's it's digital, but so is almost everything we do. And like, yeah, it's it's cloud hosted, right? It's accessible. You know, there's a there's gonna be an app coming and that's that type of stuff too. But um it's not you know, like not all programs are created equal, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think to 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 be not snarky and answer that question, I would say uh Sonics. I th Sonics, and then just wait, like the stuff we're getting ready now to roll out in terms of workflow enhancements, um, the way it's going to integrate into your workflow, and just like the cool user features and creature comforts that we have on the docket that we're actually building as we speak and just have yet to fully implement, I think are going to... You're going to get really happy that you have them, and then thinking about working without them will seem dumb. Absolutely. Well, I, I could say that I, I have had early access to Monster and I've messed around with it myself, and it definitely sounds significantly better than Lander. Oh, so thanks, I, so I would that. say you. that on the quality side of it, you've definitely nailed that. I think one thing about Lander is that it, it definitely struggles with a lot of material. There's certain material that you could throw at it that it just doesn't know how to react to, and you're going to get weird artifacts out of it. It's going to sound pumpy, or like really squashed, that kind of thing. Um, so I've thrown a lot of things at it to see how that, how your your software compares, and it definitely handled it very well and, and made it sound great. So I oh, have to too. have to give you kudos for for the quality level there. It's 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 great. Now that being said, like, do you have any specific submission requirements that you would say work best with with Monster? No, not really. We've done so much testing, like uh, hip hop, all the way to thrashy, like garage, like rock. You know, like stuff that's like full of cymbals and distorted guitars is like really harmonically complex and can get harsh quick. Uh, we've, we've done a really good job with that stuff. And then stuff like, 
that's a little bit easier to work with usually is stuff that's completely digitally derived. So like if you were to make like a, a sound in a room with a real symbol, not only is that symbol fucking probably broken and you hit it with a piece of wood and it resonated off of all these walls while causing phase problems right as it's hitting the microphone. Like, so it's just like an inherently not nice looking sine wave. It's not a sine wave, it's, but you know what I mean? It's like not a nice looking waveform as opposed to like digitally created audio, which is like mostly altered nice sine waves to begin with. You of course are going to have an easier time automating like more digitally created sounds than you are going to. But I come from a rock background. Like my whole background is solving problems that are hard to solve because they're kind of inherently dumb ideas that we've just carried over from like years of like necessity of having to record that way in the fifties and the sixties and the seventies and whatever. And so like those, because rock and roll was created that way, we still sort of create it that way. But so like rock, especially like modern sort of indie, like messy sounding rock would probably be one of the harder things you could throw at it because um, you know, we're making, we're making, little EQ moves with look ahead where every sample dude, you know what I mean? So it's not like when I talked about like how, you know, you might need a six DB notch at 1.3 maybe, but like uh, in the next sample, what if, what if instead of that, we could do it like automatically like, Oh, well now as that harmonic is starting to recede, the exact same notch filter is also receding like in harmony with that. So that's stuff that like, good luck doing that with analog gear, good luck doing that with any static algorithm. It has to be artificial intelligence based. Interesting. So, so what made you decide to create an AI mastering service in the first place? Well, I was at lunch with my manager. Uh, so I guess I can just tell this story. It's good. You, you guys, you know, the Deftones obviously, right? Yeah. <laughs> I got flown out. Uh, to help Chino from the Deftones set up his studio um, to in in just outside of Portland, Oregon. And when I got out there, for various reasons, in the morning, Chino texted me and said, "Bro, I'm so sorry, I can't, I can't do it." And so I was taken care of in terms of. I mean, I had just had to take a flight and stuff. That was kind of pain in the ass, but but like it was fine. And so I had a day to kill in Portland, and um, I went out to lunch with my manager. And he was like, you know, we've been crushing records and we've got these things going on and you've been mixing and we've been mastering and all this stuff. And this idea had been kicking around in my mind and I had scaffolded it together for a little while now. Like, all right, well, uh, what can I, what can I do? How would I do it? I think I could make this happen, but we're at, we're eating pad thai. I think it was so good. Anyway, um, some famous spot in Portland I should remember the name of. And he was like, you know, and I kind of blurted out, I think I said it out loud for the first time. And I was like, you know, I think. I want to do this thing. He kind of looked at me like, what are you talking about? You're going to make it up an artificial intelligence, you know? And I said, yeah, I think so. You know? And like, I started, you ever do that where like you say something out loud to someone else, you see their like reaction. And then you're like, oh, as I hear myself talk, I'm like already solving problems about this. <laughs> and he was just sort of sitting there looking at me like, oh, okay. And then I started getting super psyched because I was like, wait, that would work because if I, blah, 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 and my stupid brain started just like going, chicka, 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 you know, like crazy. And I was like, I bet I could make this happen. Um, so I made a prototype and I got it to run locally. And I started running um, some of the mastering work I got through it, but, you know, overseeing it a little bit and learning from that and making adjustments and learning how to then readjust it. And then, uh, 
you know, you know, sending it to the client and then being like bracing for impact, you know, waiting for them to be like, this master sucks, you know, <laughs> like, but then getting feedback back being really overwhelmingly glowing feedback. Um, and I was like, holy shit, you know, like this could work. But where I, where I lacked some experience was like virtualization in the cloud, uh, you know, vertical and horizontal scaling. Uh, and then all of like the database management that's required and like all of that stuff, because my expertise is mostly audio with enough computer science. That's where Joe really came into to play. And he was just like, uh, our first phone call was just incredible. He was just basically like, this is awesome. And no, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, like we could do this. We're not going to do it like that. You know? And, and I, I go, okay, how do we do it? And then he was just like, well, this is going to be blah, 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 all the stuff. And I was like, you're smart. That makes a lot of sense. And so we didn't know if we were going to finish it. We didn't know how much further from the prototype we were going to get, but he was really cool. He was like, it was really serendipitous timing. He's like, I have next week off. Why don't I dedicate next week to just getting a little something pop in here? And by we were talking every day at that point. And by the time that that week had come to an end, it was, we, we could use it like in a very rudimentary fashion, but we could, I could upload something and it would come back and it would have run through the AI. And we were like, Oh shit. You know, like, we can do this. Um, and then now we've just been fully like obsessed. I love that relationship between you and Joe, because a lot of people might be concerned when they, when they hear like any sort of computer program or whatever, they, they might just think, ah, oh, Jay's, Jay's just throwing his name on there, you know, and he's getting sure, someone sure. else to like, totally design it. But from the sounds of it, like you're, you're really invested into making this work like an engineer and like the stuff yeah, yeah. that you're throwing at it, you're, you're testing it from an engineer's perspective, which is, which is great. It's not just your name being slapped on there at all, which is, which is awesome. Oh yeah. Far, far, far from. And now admittedly, I completely slapped my name on there. Like it is. <laughs> well, it is it called is Monster. Mo I, don't know, yeah. I don't know what Joe's last name is, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, that was mostly because everyone I was talking to about it was, for years now, I've mastered records and they'd be like, did you master it or did you master it? You know, just because of my name. <laughs> and and I'd be like, har, har, har. I never heard that one before. And then, um, so when I started talking about this, they're like, oh, you, and I'd never thought of like spelling it that way. And then a friend of mine, I was telling him about it texting and he texted me back and he made the same joke but it was the first time i had seen it in text like and he took out the e and gus thank you by the way it was gus and uh and it, it was m-a-a-s-t-r and i was like oh that just kind of looks right and then i felt really weird i was gonna call it like master bot or like something you know <laughs> i didn't know like I, I just felt weird about it just felt so like ego or whatever to name it my name, but I, um, it just kind of made sense. And it tied in with the fact that some people know me as an engineer. And once I did it, I was horrified to, to name it after myself. And then so many people were like, Oh dude, the name rips, love it. So that was nice to hear. Cause I'm not a big, I don't want to like, I don't know, you know, I feel weird branding myself like that, but the name, that's the name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. So when the idea came up to create an online mastering engine, like what were some of those key factors or components of mastering that were really important for you to incorporate into Monster? Uh, do you mean like in a technical way or? Well, I guess, I guess see, I, you've kind of maybe touched on some of this earlier, but like, I guess there is a lot of different input material that could go into it. So, yeah. you know, how... 
maybe without revealing too much, I don't know what you, sure. what you feel comfortable talking about, but even if I but reveal like, it, good luck how, coding it. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, how does it how does it know? Like to analyze all this stuff and like, you know, where does it take it, and how do, how does it know when to make those broadcuts? Broad well, I mean, I, if if I'm being dead honest, it's mostly derived from my own creative process, right? And then take in taking that creative process and f figuring out how to uh, code and virtualize that. So it's it's you know very much like how I look at things and the order that it looks at things and the way that it processes those things is very much from it's, I just took what I had been doing, you know, with all the experience and, <clears throat> and stuff, I took all of that and I took, I broke down those choices and I broke down those decisions and into, into different chunks. And some things are best handled in different phases, you know, I'm sure, you know, right. And um, so I took what I think is the best, sort of formula for, um, you gotta, so the first thing you do, right, as a master engineer, like you're going to listen to, and to some degree, look at maybe on a spec analyzer or something like that. Like you're gonna, the, the audio, and you might do some visual confirmation to what your ears are hearing, right? Which is nice. I think that, I, I think people who are like, D just use your ears. I'm like, ah, I don't know. I think <laughs> like, my ears are good for sure. And I know what I'm doing, but also like, why not also get the visual confirmation? You know, like what if my yeah. ears are having an off day and I think something's 2.2, but it's 2.7, that can be a big deal, you know? And so it's nice you get the visual confirmation and that sort of sets up, okay, what do I want to do and how much of it do I think that I need to do to sort of derive the output that I'm after? So it was really just about identifying, I don't know how long this podcast is going to be in, and I'll probably ramble on forever, but it was really about breaking down my processes and then turning those into repeatable, scalable processes, which I have to actually do tell this story, which is so sad. My assistant just finished his record and I mastered it for him. And then for shits and giggles, we ran it through Monster and we both agreed it was just better coming out of the AI. And why? Because I mastered his EP at the end of my day. My ears were a little bit tired. And uh, my listening environment isn't as consistent. Like you have to understand, like with enough tweaking, like Master's, you know, quote unquote, listening environment never gets tired. It, 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 it can do it. It's completely consistent. So like, you know, when you're, imagine being able to take like, like the the aggregate awesomeness of all of your best moments over a course of six months and subtly turn those into a perfectly, infinitely repeatable decision-making process, as opposed to, I'm tired, I need coffee, but I have to master this. Maybe no off days, right? So that's sort of answering your question. I don't know. <laughs> no, it makes sense that like, it, it's, it's interesting to hear it from that perspective of, you you took your process and you know yeah. just digitized it and you know it it leads me to believe that you know when i run my stuff through monster it's going to sound like i hired you on your best day to to do it yep that's what one of the first comments i got from bob cooper producer in the uk wonderful lad and very good engineer and the first thing he said to me he was one of the first people to run anything through it and he said not only is this a great sounding master he says it sounds like what i would expect you to do yeah, and I felt that way too when I tried it out. I, I I compared it to some of the stuff that you've worked on, and I was like, oh yeah, I could see, I could see like Jay would have done this, so it makes sense that I'm hearing this out of Monster, which totally. is which is great. And I and I think that that's um, it's it's a really cool way to kind of extend your services and you know 
just make it a lot more accessible. Yeah, it's cool, man. You know, like what I used to get out of being in like Defeater and making records and stuff is that I got to take all the crazy stuff that happens in my brain and I got to put it out to scale, right? Like uh, you put it out in digital streaming services, you make records and like, you know, I can only tour so much, right? Like you can only be in one place at one time. But I, when I look at like my Spotify analytics and, and stuff now for the art that I've created and I see like, I don't know, tens and tens and tens of millions of people have been have listened to and hopefully enjoyed. I mean, if they keep listening, right? I don't know why they wouldn't if they didn't enjoy it, right? Keep listening to and hopefully enjoying the thing that my brain did. And that's sort of like in this sort of next evolution or phase of my life where I'm focusing on being at home and working on this instead of sort of like scaling what my brain does in terms of songs and emotional response. It's more like scaling what my brain does so that we can empower the scale of everyone's emotional response that uses the product. It's like a way to like get it into the hands of everyone who's trying to make like emotionally compelling music and make their product better and educate them. It's like a, it's like an, I don't know. That seems like, like a really noble and good thing to do. And it makes me stoked. That's probably a big driving force for me as well. Yeah. It makes sense. Like you, you made this to, to help your workflow and to help your lifestyle and, you know, this is an infinitely scalable thing because it's digital. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. So I'm curious to get your take then. Like, do you think AI will replace humans when it comes to music production? Depends on in which capacity. I have not yet heard anything remotely close to... Okay, so here, here we go. We're getting deep. Uh, I think that um, what is really important in music, speaking of emotions, is how we can effectively trigger emotional and empathetic, or not always empathetic, but different emotional responses in combination of remo- emotional responses in one another. And I think that is a very human-to-human thing. So I don't know that AI AI can make music. I just don't know why any, from what I've heard so far anyway, why any human would really care about the composition of that music. Now, maybe we make a beat, but what's what's going to sell it? It's the it's the inflection of the vocalist. Like if you're going over a purely digital beat that was created with some deep learning, here are sounds. They are at a tempo. This is the key, right? Okay, congrats. Here's some stuff. But what's that's not going to sell much, except for nerds who are like, I can't believe deep learning made this beat. Like that's not going to go very far. So what you'll get though is you'll get somebody who maybe be be inspired by those sounds. It will be the um, the contextual delivery of the the thoughts and emotions of that performer and the nuance of it that has, I think, all the real power to be connective um, to other humans. And that's usually what we care about. And we, we remember where we were when we heard certain songs and certain feelings and stuff like that. So maybe, but that's hard for me to speculate. I would say we're a very, very long way away from that. I would say that contrary to that, AI, uh, I guess with my help to some degree, uh, and very much Joe's help for sure, uh, has gotten to a point now where we can help, um, we can help make those emotional expressions very, very nicely transferable, like more easy sounds, right. You know what I mean? And, uh, so in that way, yes, it helps, but in terms of like pure creation, 
not for me, not yet. I haven't heard any click, clicks and boops that, that do that for me. Yeah, it's interesting to hear it from your perspective because, I mean, like I'm not a programmer at all. I have no no clue where to even begin with that. So it's interesting to hear you kind of mention that human element because certainly like you have to start with the right ingredients to begin with, right? And that, I think the recording process, getting the right performances, getting the right energy, getting all those emotions, that all... Yeah, like it, you can't, you're not just going to have robots singing and it's, you know, sounds like a perfect, you know. So it's interesting that you, you framed it that way because, yeah, you need the good stuff to come in first. And then I imagine that, you know, Monster is just one stage that could probably be automated with AI. It, well, it has been. And, you know, maybe the next step is to take it down another tier and maybe mixing could be something that, like, I don't know if you, if you see mixing as something that could possibly be automated as well. Yeah, I would say though the uh can be like yes, can can be. Yeah, yeah. Um but like uh, to make it I don't know. Like we talked about before like earlier in the podcast like so much of the harmonic content and like the amount of the compressor that was used and the amount of compression that was used and all of that stuff that a lot of times those come from emotionally deliberative places for the composition and like, it would be, I'm not saying anything necessarily is impossible, but I would say it's way off for it to be a really day-to-day useful, compelling, like, technology. Yeah, and I, and I do, th- there's obviously the human element of, you know, how to, how to process your, your tracks to, to bring out certain elements of the emotion and intensity and all that kind of stuff, right? Like, that's, yeah, there's, it takes a human to decide those to make those decisions as to like what's right and wrong for the song. So, right. And so what I think you just touched upon something that's really important. And like, so if, let's say you're a monster user, right? What not only do we bring this like intense science and, and all of this stuff, like really powerful stuff right at your fingertips, what it brings back to you is your power as an artist or a mixing engineer to iterate like on your terms. And that means you don't have to wait for someone else. You don't have to lose your objectivity. You can, you can, if you want to sleep on it, you can. But if you want to get back to your mix five, 10 minutes later, you can. And, and so it's like really empowering and enabling artists to not need to do 15, 16 years of dedicated experience in a certain area, but really gives them like a really powerful tool to iterate emotionally into their mix. And then what's so funny is like, all of the output you get from Monster is absolutely good to go. It's it, it can be the final mix, or sorry, the final master if you want it to be. But because you're no longer dependent on that very slow paced scale of traditional mastering, uh, it doesn't have to be. Yeah, it allows you to make your decisions and and tailor your your product after hearing the mastered version. I guess no question. Yeah. So do you think that um, like you are a mastering engineer still, and you still do mastering? So. I'm also curious to hear your opinion on like where the difference would be between something like Monster versus having an actual mastering engineer. Is are they the same now? No, they'll they'll never be the same. But that is to say that um, one is better, and, and that's where I think you get to the point where you're like, you know, which Lamborghini do I want to drive? You know, and and if you are the type of person who's like, nope, absolutely not, I. I don't want anything to do with any AI BS, whatever. Um, then please don't um, and continue 
to do whatever you like and whatever your process is, of course. But like also, uh, you know, we've got uh, we've got a free trial, so I would just recommend at least drive the other Lamborghini around the block. I think <laughs> you're gonna like it, you know. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just it's just which do you want, you know, like. Do you still want to put DVDs in your DVD player? Like, you can. You totally can. I don't know why you would, but you can. And like, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a little different because it's, it, you know, those are identical. Like the stream and the DVD are close to identical. So in this case, you get slightly different output. But the fact of the matter is, is like there's just a new, amazing sounding, modern way that is inherently different because I don't care who the mastering engineer is and that's myself included. We are not making decisions this accurately and calculated this frequently on this level. Yeah, it, it, it makes sense that like, you know, this, this is a tool. So why wouldn't you try it out and see? Totally. That, you try know, it. like, yeah, why not? And, and you know, I, I've tried it. It sounds amazing. So Thanks, man. Thank you. I will continue to use it and, you know, use it to you know, compare my work to it, compare to learn from it. And, you know, like I, it's the tools there. So why not use it? Right. I, to and, I totally agree. And yeah, sometimes like, I think there's going to be cases where having a human touch, maybe provide something different, just, you know, kind of to your point earlier of like, you know, everyone's got their different days. Some days you're like right on it. Some days you're not. And like, there's going to be those variances, but sometimes those variances will actually make something better you know <laughs> like yeah and totally and it just comes to a point where better is really just in the the eyes or in this case the ears of the beholder you know you know it, so yeah i i don't know i think i would really encourage everyone to give it a shot um like i said you get to get in there you get to kick the tires a little bit before um you're ever charged or anything because like we understand you know we understand you gotta you gotta get in there and um and try it out you know you're not gonna just take something that's well, I, I guess, and honestly, something that's like this new of an idea that can be potentially so disruptive in a world where other attempts really haven't been very good. Um, so you would, of course, maybe have a little bias there. Um, and if that's the case, um, we, we just encourage you to like, you know, test drive that thing, you know? Yeah, be open-minded about it for sure. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So right now, Monster is definitely in its early stages. And I know that... Um, you know, from my experience of trying it out, you, you've got the mastering engine there. It's, it's definitely working great. The stuff you feed it is working really well. It sounds great. Can you maybe comment on some of the features that we might be able to expect from it once sure. it opens? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to keep some of them close to the chest for now, but for I sure. can definitely tell some of them. One big one that I really like is, um, uh, so you're a mixing engineer, you're an artist, you want to share. So a lot of us mix engineers, right? We do work for people um, and we have to deliver them files and then we will get some sort of like convoluted mixed note report back. So we're going to handle mixed notes right in the platform. Um, everybody will be able to, all of the band members or whatever will be able to log in and uh, listen to everything. You just drop, you just click right on the waveform. Hey, uh, I think uh, background harmonies could come up here a little bit, such and such a thing. Overall, I feel like the bass is just a little gritty, da, 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 right? Now for you, the monster user, you'll get your, um, you'll get your revisions back and then you'll be able to literally just in a chronological way, look at what's coming in and say like, okay, I just need to fix this at 121 and whatever. And that's great. But the big difference here is when you combine this sort of like integrated, nice mix note thing with 
what really can and probably will be the final product, you remove this nebulous thing that we've never been able to beat in the past. And that is, that is, why is, how many times has a client said, hey, the snare just seems kind of loud, you know, and you go, you go, well, yes. So when this goes to mastering, it's going to like, probably our peak information is going to get ducked into our average information more. And for those reasons, I want to compensate because I don't want to lose the impact of the snare in the master, blah, 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 blah. Right. And we do that so often. Instead, how awesome would it be is if what you gave your clients every time is potential final product and their, their uh, evaluation of the potential final product is a one-to-one ratio, no more guessing. So now they say, hey, I think the snare is a little loud. And then you can say, cool, because that's how sna- loud the snare would have been, you know, and there's no, no guessing. They can say, I think this, I think that, and they are actually commenting not on what is sort of like what it will be like, they are commenting on what it's like. That's an enormous game changer. That's solving a problem that has existed in this industry uh, the entire time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it makes sense because like the the mastering engineer, like the way it traditionally has been is like, yeah, you send it off to a mastering engineer and then you're like, oh, now that I hear that, we totally. need to make those adjustments in the mix instead. Yeah. And what an absolute... T- time sync. Cause then the mix engineer is like, well, I've started working on another project in the last two weeks. What if he's using outboard gear? He's got to pull up his recall sheet when, so now you got to wait on the mixing engineer. Then you got to go in and you got to get in the master engineer schedule. It, dude, it's a mess. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So is the idea going to be that, um, like a, a mixing engineer could just upload their track and then, you know, monster does its thing. And so the, the, the artist is always listening to the mastered yep. version. Correct. Yeah, yep. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. There's no reason not to. That, and there'll be auto notifications. We're working on, ah, there's some stuff I can't say yet. We're working on some really cool stuff that's going to make it super slick, but there'll be, you know, the, you know, your, your users and, and the clients of that user. If that, the thing, the thing with the platform is you can just be a solo artist. You just do it all yourself. But if you are the in-between person, right, we solve that problem too, where like someone's dependent on you to handle the mix and deliver something that they want because they just don't know how to do that part. Well, now what they hear is final. If you are doing everything yourself, what you hear is final. So um, there'll be a mix note thing that'll be really helpful for people who are acting as the mixing intermediary between the, the art and the artist. Or if the artist is just making the art, then of course that part won't be necessary, but it's completely available. Yeah, and I, and I have to say from my experience, I found Monster to be a fairly transparent service in the sense that like, I didn't feel like my my mix just totally changed to something completely different, you know? Of like, not, yeah. And so... I, I, with this, this, uh, point of being able to do revisions, like, I don't think it's a scenario where people would ever be like, well, I don't know what monster did, you know, like it, like sure. you'd be able to figure right. out what it is and how, and how, how to make those adjustments. So, you know, I think that that's definitely a concern people might have, but it's worth acknowledging, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, and that is what you just touched upon is the beauty of dynamic deep learning, artificial intelligence type stuff, right? So like we are, uh, looking at, uh, the signal, assuming you made that mix for a reason, right? So like if we had static algorithms, like, ah, oh, here's your hip hop one and here's your rock <laughs> algorithm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, template. You'd, you'd, yeah, exactly. You'd have a disaster on your hands. You need something that's just completely reacting to what's coming in individualistically every time. Yeah. And, and and I can say that I I definitely experienced that by setting a lot of different awesome. stuff to it. So, Glad to hear so that. man, you've, you've definitely, you've got it 
like you're working on an amazing service and I'm really stoked for other people to, to check it out and, and to experiment with it. Cause uh, thanks it, so much, man. It's, it's definitely uh, something people should check out and, and give, give a shot. So um, just to, to maybe touch on some of the, the way that monster will deliver, uh, deliver your files at the end of this. How does that work? Is it like, Basically, people are going to just upload, you know, 24-bit, 44-1 files or whatever, and then it's going to spit out a 16-bit or like, how's that going to work? Yeah. So right now we're doing wave output um, and we are, we already have plans for if people want MP3s and stuff like that, we can encode those for you. Um, and we're also talking about doing um, different mastered for iTunes, mastered for Spotify, mastered for iTunes, mastered for <laughs> Spotify, right? Yeah. And that stuff too, that's all coming down the pike. That's very cool. I was I was also very curious about that too, because obviously that's something that mastering engineers have to consider is like what what platforms is going to be on and what are the requirements of that platform. So that's very cool that, you, that you're already thinking about how to optimize it for those different platforms. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Well, well that, that I basically already have it figured out. It's just on the list of like how to implement um, or, or no, not how to, but to implement really. Um, so it's, it's on our short list um, because it's one of our already most sort of requested features. Um, and yeah, so making sure that people have um, something that is specifically handled for the platform is really cool because otherwise, you know, you'll take something that's like uh, tr traditionally conventionally uh, mastered volume and send it to uh, Spotify, which is like, you know, whatever it is, negative 14 lefts, right? And it's like pretty quiet. And so, uh, now you're leaving it up to Spotify to lower the volume of your uh, project and you may prefer to handle that internally. So I assume that most people would. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's awesome. Cause it, it really is. It really does sound like you're coming at this from a, a mix or a mastering engineers perspective and, you know, kind of really tailoring the, the input source to what it needs to be and, and how a mastering engineer would deal with it. So yeah. And there's going to be a lot of deep technology behind all this stuff, but the usability, you know, we're always keeping that stuff really um, straightforward. And we, th this platform is too lean on the technology in a way that is not obtrusive or annoying. So again, whether you're a USB cable dad or seasoned engineer, it's like, oh shit, okay, yeah, well, I do want to upload this to Spotify, so I'll click that button. You know what I mean? It'll spit it out, and then you'll know which one's the Spotify version, and you're, you know, you're good to go. Um, so yeah, what, it's just about kind of like that Apple mentality, sort of like combining, hopefully a really elegant, I'm really excited for people to see like the upcoming, like, um, UI updates and stuff. Cause they're really beautiful, but like, um, it, uh, incorporating just a really nice front end experience with just some like super wild, hardcore tech stuff going on in the background. That's awesome. Well, I'm excited for people to check it out too. So maybe for people who are interested in learning more about Monster, how can they go about, trying it out and, and getting into it. They can go to uh, monster.io and they can And you want to just spell it out for people just so that they know? <laughs> yeah, that's probably a good idea. Uh, M-A-A-S-T-R dot I-O. And if you go there, there's um, right now a link on the front page because we are not, it depends on when this podcast comes out, but we are not currently open uh, for business for all users. We've been onboarding people to, uh, as we scale, we want to make sure everybody gets a good experience. And so we're scaling more every day. Um, eventually the doors will just straight up open. But, um, you know, for people like yourself, we got you in and a lot of other people that we trust, we got them in. And so we can, we need to kick the tires on our end too, a little bit. Um, and there's been a couple little things here and there that like, we're glad that, you know, we did that, but it's feeling really, really stable now. Um, and uh, we just finished like, 
we just finished a bunch of tech that's really going to let us scale this to like uh, a massive amount of people. (laughs) 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 That's amazing. Awesome, man. Well, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, you shared some really cool insight in terms of like what people should expect and, you know, what the future of it holds. And and I'm excited for people to check it out. I I know you Uh, are certainly for sure. Yeah. So maybe that's a good spot to wrap up in terms of um, people getting to know you and your productions a little bit better. How can they do that? Oh, you just go to uh, jmas.com. So J-A-Y-M-A-A-S.com. It's just my name. And um, you'll find my page there. Uh, you'll find me on Instagram, uh, J underscore Moss. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm around. You can just Google it. You'll find it. Just Google it. Um, and yeah, you'll, you'll find me all over the place um, doing all kinds of audio stuff. Awesome. And uh, lastly, any cool projects that you're currently working on besides Monster that you're excited to talk about? Oh my God, so many great. I mean, I'm, I'm working on the probably the final mix notes of uh, this really cool band called Circus Trees. They're... Um, doing they're like okay so it's three sisters and they're like 14 16 and 18 and they play beautiful like melancholic post-rock um with these huge dynamic shifts and like six to eight minute long songs really like deep thoughtful lyrics and great execution you would expect them to be like you know like 31 year old like neck beard flannel guys based on like <laughs> the 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 sound of the band it's so mature but they're all like just hyper intelligent and the band is really really good so I'm, I'm finishing that maybe maybe today honestly after this podcast but um but we're we're just down to those last couple notes and stuff and it's sounding really good and yeah as always man i'm um i'm working on a new cali mossy record uh they flew out from chicago um probably lyrically one of the few records I've recorded ever that I'm not even ashamed to say it. Like some of the lyrics are so emotionally potent that I just cried while I was recording them. It just was like so powerful. Um, The delivery, the nuance and the intelligence there is just like second to none. Um, And so we're we're really excited about that. We're both over the moon about the product. We're, We're kind of in the same stage on that one too, where we are just tightening up those little last screws and making sure that, you know, this, we're, we're so proud of it. It's like, it's our baby. Like if we're going to put it out, we want to put it out, you know, just right. So, yeah, that's awesome. Well, Hey, that sounds like a, the mark of a good record. If it's going to make you have those emotional responses like that, right? <sighs> dude, it still <laughs> wells me up when I f- mix it. I'm like, I'm, I've heard this 300 times, you know, <laughs> still gets me. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Can't wait to check it out. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. I'll, I'll be sure to send it over. Awesome. Um, Cool, man. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much for for taking the time out of your day to do this. And uh, I'm really excited for people to dig into everything you're working on and and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you so much. So that was my interview with Jay Moss. And that was a very interesting episode. Really cool insight into the future of our industry and with mastering and everything to do with using AI technology in what we do as mixing and mastering engineers. I think it's really cool to see the direction that the world is going in and having guys like Jay who are leading the pack and trying these innovative technologies, it's very, very cool. So definitely you're gonna wanna check out Monster. And like I said in the episode, I've tried it out and it was really impressive. I was very impressed by how good the quality was and it blew out all of the competition. I've tried a couple of the other online platforms and they do not stand a chance against what Jay has created here. So if you're interested in trying it out, Jay has put together an amazing offer for listeners of the Master Your Mix podcast. So if you visit masteryourmix.com forward slash monster, 
That's spelled M-A-A-S-T-R. So masteryourmix.com forward slash monster. You can go there and you can try out Monster for free. And if you like it and you want to subscribe to it, you can use the coupon code M-Y-M-P-O-D. So M-Y-M-P-O-D. And you will get 15% off your monthly rate. So it's a very cool way for you to try out the platform, throw some stuff at it, see what you think of it, and uh, you know test it out with lots of different material. And I think it's a great service for getting quick masters done. And it's also a great tool to use in your workflow to help you understand how mastering can improve your mixes and what sort of things could be improved in your mixes. So you know what I would recommend you do is finish the mixes, throw it up on Monster, hear what it does, and use that as a tool to help you with your mixes moving forward. See what it's doing to your tracks and you know try to emulate a lot of those changes in your own mixes. And I think that you'll find it very helpful in terms of getting better results with your mixes. And on top of that, you're gonna get some pretty cool AI-based mastering done. So definitely make sure to check that out. One more time, visit masteryourmix.com forward slash monster. That is spelled M-A-A-S-T-R. And if you want to sign up for the monthly plans, use the coupon code M-Y-M-P-O-D and you'll get 15% off. Also, if you enjoyed this episode and you want to support it, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you listen to, and make sure to leave a rating and a review on the iTunes platform. This just helps to expose the podcast to a bunch of new people and to help make people realize that this is a podcast worth listening to. So if you can leave a review, that would be amazing. And if this is your first time hearing about the Master Your Mix podcast or Master Your Mix, make sure to visit MasterYourMix.com. And on that website, I'm currently giving away a free copy of my Ultimate Mixing Blueprint, which is a cheat sheet for using EQ and compression in your mixes. And it helps you dial in settings real quick and helps you identify which frequencies you need to pay attention to to boost, which ones to cut, and what compression settings you should dial up so that you get results really fast. So once again, check that out, MasterYourMix.com. So that's it for this episode, guys. I'll talk to you in the next one. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Master Your Mix podcast. To have your questions answered, submit your questions to questions at MasterYourMix.com. Please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review. And for more information on how you can improve your mixes, visit MasterYourMix.com.